Well, this morning's scripture reading is from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. One of my favorite things about the way my day starts Monday through Friday uh, is that I get to walk my fourth grader to the school bus stop. And there are, <clears throat> I don't know, over a dozen children at that bus stop and their parents. It's become this thing where the parents come and we wait and we talk and we wait until the school bus leaves and we all wave goodbye to the school bus. It's going to be this memory that's going to be like ingrained in my uh, kid's memory. And I love that chance to interact with our neighbors every week. A couple weeks ago, um, one of the moms at the uh, bus station there, uh, she works for a tech company in town and has a really large sales region that she oversees. And she was looking for a new salesperson. Um, and there's a possibility that maybe someone else in the neighborhood would um, interview for that role. And this is what she said. She said, well, whoever it is that we hire, it's really going to come down to this. Are they a hunter or a farmer? This passage is kind of a hunting or farming kind of passage. And we'll talk about that as we go along. Let's pray, shall we? Uh, Lord, thank you for gathering us all here together. It has long been said of the church that we are both the people that are gathered and the people that are scattered. And some of us who are coming here today, this feels like the end of a really long week. And for others who are here, this feels like the beginning and preparation for the week ahead. Well, Lord, whatever our condition before you today... We pray that your word would be nourishing to us, that your spirit would work in us and through us, that we would know something of Sabbath provision because of what we hear today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. If you are our Lord, our rock and redeemer, and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so this is the last of several weeks of this series as we've launched into this school year and into this ministry year that we have been calling Love Local. And the invitation is simply to follow the pattern that we see in Jesus himself and in the scriptures to be engaged in our faith and in our communities wherever we find ourselves. So we would simply look down, get a sense of context. Where are we? Who are we with? Look up and love whoever it is that we see that is right in front of us. 
we will continue along this theme throughout the rest of this year, this invitation for us uh, to love local. But also, this particular Sunday, as, um, as Carl mentioned, this is also the Sunday when we will be installing Daniel Susenbach as our next pastor for mission, outreach, and engagement. And can I just say, he's already been just crushing it. Um, we've had uh, over 700 engagements, people engaged in some way in a variety of activities just in this last week. And you may or may not know, whenever we have a formal installation, as we will at this next service, that the pastor um, getting uh, installed or ordained gets to choose the Bible passage. I couldn't have chosen, I don't think, a better passage for your role and for what I know about your heart. I'm happy to oblige in that. And also, I just need to acknowledge, we probably need a series, I'm sure you're going to love this, for this um, passage alone. There are entire denominations that are founded upon just these four verses. There are entire parachurch organizations that have spread out workers through every single corner of the globe just based on this passage, which is called the Great Commission. There's no way I'm going to be able to cover it all. I can really simply just get us started. And where I'd like to start today, actually, is just recognizing that evangelism is becoming increasingly, it feels to us, increasingly difficult. This desire to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been at the core of this church's life and ministry and our programs for decades. And that is certainly, I pray, and while I'm here, I hope at least that it will continue, that we will go, make disciples, baptize them, teach obedience. And we're not just going to do it here, because as much as we are called to love local, everywhere is local to the gospel. So we also are going to do what we can. Already, most of our missionaries are engaged in some way right now in living out the Great Commission, the ones that we send out and support. We're going to keep on doing that. All nations, all peoples, all languages. But today I want you to know that evangelism, the Great Commission, is not for professionals. It's for you. And evangelism has hit on hard times, hasn't it? Some of you may uh, know the picture of this man right here. This is a man named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was uh, martyred for his faith January 8, 1956. He uh, was seeking to preach the gospel to an unreached people group uh, in Ecuador. He's the one who famously said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And his martyrdom was national and even international news and sparked decades of a movement towards sharing the gospel with all those who need to know of the hope of Jesus. But then, 62 years later, you may not even know this person. He was in the news a little bit. This is John Allen Chow. 
And he was martyred for his faith November 17th, just last year, seeking to um, become acquainted with and share the gospel with an unreached people on an island off of India. And critics, both those who are Christians and those who are not Christians, wrote much about how his seeking to share the faith was an example of imperialism and colonialism. Article upon article can be found that talk about how the sharing of faith in this way is oppressive. That even our sharing of faith personally, um, well, we know this already, violates public norms. And so we hear these things, we read these things now, and we're not sure, so sure we know what to think. It seems that evangelism has fallen on hard times. The, the message and the hope of spiritual transformation is, is now not welcome. When you have something to say to someone and you, you have some sort of an understanding of their spiritual yearning and condition and you say, you know what? I believe there's a way for you to know something more about life for all time. How does that go? What happens? It's easy for us to say to ourselves and think to ourselves that evangelism has never been harder. We're at, the, we're at a low point. It is, it's so hard. But friends, I want you to know something. It turns out the message of salvation and evangelism has always been unwelcome. Jesus was persecuted. Paul was persecuted. Entire communities were set in exile from Rome because of their faith and their trust and their proclamation in Jesus Christ in Rome. You can, just, you can read about the letter to those exiles if you read 1 Peter. This message has never been especially welcome, even though it's necessary. And here's what I want you to know, friends. Jesus does not equivocate. He doesn't hedge. He doesn't sort of back off from this. Disciples, followers of Jesus, students of the way they are commanded. Go. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them how to obey the Jesus way of life. And here's something I want to say to you. It does not matter your personality type. This is a universal call to evangelize. Some of you may know um, the Enneagram. The Great Commission does not say if you are a seven or a two, share the gospel. But if you are a nine or a five, we know it's harder for you. You don't have to. does not say if you score more on the extroversion chart, you must go make disciples. But if you're an introvert and you get more sort of energy from solo time, well, then you just leave it to the extroverts. 
This is a, a universal call for us to go and make disciples. We all get to be part of this invitation to let God's story be known, the possibility of salvation to be shared, that the way of life to be exhibited. Introvert, extrovert, everything in between. You. Go. Make disciples. Well, now what? Great. How can I think about this command? How can I think about this commission in some way for us that might help us tiptoe just a little further into living this out? There's a couple things I want to show you today. Like I said, there's so much that we could talk about that we could sort of explode open for all of us. But um, here's the first thing I just want you to note. There is room for doubt. I want you to notice that in this story, there is, there is room for doubt. The disciples, there's only 11 of them. Now they're kind of incomplete. And they're gathered there. And some people think this is maybe the same mountain where Jesus first proclaimed and shared the Sermon on the Mount. So this is the place where they've been told of the Jesus way. Now they're about to be told to, to share the Jesus way. And they see him. And they worship. But some doubt it. Probably like some of you in this room. There's no one, I would think, in this room that has perfect faith and no doubt. You have never heard from a preacher in this pulpit who has perfect faith and no doubt. We see the risen Christ and we have our questions, but still the disciples, they, they fall down in worship and we don't know what their questions were. Maybe he never died, some might think. Maybe he didn't really rise from the dead. Maybe this is an apparition. How am I going to explain this to my brother who's never met Jesus personally himself? Friends, what I want you to know is this doubt revealed in the passage is good. Because here's what it means for us. God uses worshiping doubters. The good news is, is this story now in includes you. You don't have to wonder or worry if somehow your doubt excludes you out of the plans that God has for his kingdom. You get to be part of it. You can do this just as you are. It's fine to have the doubts that you have. Dale Bruner, a famous uh, commentator and theologian on the Gospels, says this, They doubted so that you don't have to doubt. They doubted so you don't have to wonder if you're included. They doubted so that you don't have to sort of hedge and hem and haw on, on whether or not Dad has, God has something in store for you. Because what's the very next thing that Jesus does? Some doubted, and then Jesus came to them. He stepped forward to them. He said, I'm not going to stand off and wait for you to kind of get this figured out. I'm not going to wait for you to sort of climb the next rung on the ladder, get the next training, go to the next class, read the next book on apologetics before I'll come to you. 
He's like, nope, worshiping doubters. Hi. With deep love, he comes to the disciples and says, I can use you just as you are. So the good news is, friends, we can be confident of our evangelism even in the middle of our doubt. There's room for doubt. You don't have to have it all figured out before you share something of your hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Second, get schooled. Get schooled. You may have uh, seen in the news over the last uh, couple of weeks, or maybe months actually, I became more aware just the last couple of weeks, that there are students uh, who attend Wheaton University that's just uh, outside of Chicago. And every Friday, there's this group of students who who go to some of the, the most sort of central areas of tourism in Chicago to publicly share and proclaim the gospel. They're going to these public places and saying, pardon me, can I have a conversation with you? Hey, there's something I, I'd like to share with you. Will you let me? And over the last several months, Chicago continues to, to change the rules on where that kind of proclamation can take place. Seeking to push out and um, reject that way of sharing the gospel. And can I say to you, we should all be deeply troubled. We should all be deeply troubled when any public expression of any faith gets segmented out and rejected and there's no room to talk about it in the public square. That should bother us. We should be bringing that to the Lord in prayer. And what I want you to know, actually, is is that is a form, a perfectly valid form of evangelism. Paul did that, we know. Jesus did that, we know. And so sometimes we think, maybe that's somehow I need to become that kind of person. I need to become the hunter. Maybe. There certainly is room for that in the Scriptures. What I want you to see today, right now, is actually Jesus is calling us to something in addition to simply just being the hunter. He says, hey, disciples, go make disciples. We're like, yeah, okay, thanks, Eric. Now, what you might have missed is that the word disciples is really just the word for student. It's the word for learner that we've turned into a specialized word that has sort of its own sort of holy vibe to it. But it really is just an invitation to be a learner. Jesus has said to his disciples, come, follow me. And then he says to disciples, go, make other disciples. It's an invitation to school. It's simply inviting someone. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm in school right now. Do you want to come with me? Do you want to be a learner with me for a little while? To enact and live the, the Great Commission, friends, we simply have to live as students of God and invite others to do the same. 
Now, for me, that is deeply different than calling to sort of live in a public gospel preaching on the milk crate in the middle of pearl sort of way. I've been here for seven years as a pastor, and I've never done that. Surely there must be some other way that we get to live into the Great Commission. And Jesus himself says, be a student. It's a slow word. It's a kind of a, it's a farming kind of a word. Turns out there's room for both farmers and hunters. Jesus says, go make disciples. Invite others into this school of discipleship that you are in. This is a universally attainable thing. You can do it. This verse at least should give you some confidence, friends, that the sharing of the good news of the gospel is farming. It's not just hunting. It's personal. It's patient. It has purpose. That's what the gospel invites from us and for us. Why? Because those three things, the fact that it's personal and that it's patient and that it's purposeful, and personal, personal, patient, and purposeful, is that's who God is with you. God is personally inviting you to know Him and to follow Him. And He's patient with you as you learn in His school what that actually will look like. And there's purpose, both now and for all time. We're invited to do this because God has done it with us. And we're invited to do it with others because it is the way of life. So, there's, uh, there's room for doubt. Get schooled. And finally, let me invite you to live in the tension. For the most part, people don't like to live in tension. We, um, in every single way, we want tension to be resolved. If there's tension with a spouse, we'd like for that tension to go away. If there's an intellectual paradox, we would like for it to be resolved. If there's something that makes us uncomfortable, we, we want it to go away and we want the tension to sort of go slack. But what we actually see here in the Great Commission is actually a, a reliance on tension for the gospel to be shared. Let me show you what I mean. This is like total like uh, seminarian geek outlining here, okay? But this is a way to understand the structure of what we see here in the Great Commission. And what we see is Jesus starting with this indicative, this thing that will never change, this thing that we can, that's bedrock. What he says is, all authority has been given to me. Not unlike that promise we read in Daniel at the very beginning of our service. Jesus is saying, I'm that guy, the one that you've been waiting for since the prophet Daniel. I'm him. All authority has been given unto me. I have sovereignty. This kingdom is breaking in. You don't have to worry. And then right then, at the very end, he says, now, here's what I want you to know. If I have all authority, I also want you to know this. I am with you. Always. To the end of time. And what he puts in the middle is how we get to live because of the indicative of God's sovereignty. 
because he is sovereign, because he is always with us, we have the freedom and the confidence to go. We have the freedom and confidence to, to make disciples. We know that it's possible for, us to, possible for us to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that we can trust both our successes and our failures to, to teach obedience to the way of Christ. Because it doesn't solely rely on us, but we do have a role. We have to live in the tension between our obedience and God's sovereignty. We have to sort of spring on that and sort of let it bounce and become comfortable between those two places. That's the Great Commission, friends. Not that we simply trust in our own work, but that we trust in the identity of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it like this in 1 Thessalonians. He was talking to a group that he led to follow Christ. He evangelized them, and he said, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Friends, what you see here is that both words and power matter. It turns out we have sort of an obligation to to share the actual narrative of the Bible, to share with words the hope that we have in Jesus. We have to do more than simply live the gospel and hope people get it. But when we use words, it's accompanied with power. And it's power that doesn't come from us. We have to live in the tension between us using our words and God's power actually doing something meaningful through us we can't control. And then he says, the Holy Spirit's going to do this. He changes the direction of the poles. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. And now you have to not just use words, but live with deep conviction. Words. Actions together, living in tension and in harmony with the sovereignty and work of the Holy Spirit. This simply is an echo of what Jesus himself has said in the Great Commission. Jesus says, I have all authority. It's been invested in me. I have all the power. So go and make disciples. Baptize them teach them my way. And don't worry, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. So friends, we, we need to know that we can live with our doubts. We can do it. And partially we know we can live with our doubts because this is a, a long obedience in the same direction. We can do this over time because evangelism also is farming. It's school. It's an ongoing discipleship. And as we live that discipleship, what we realize is we can live in the tension of both using our words and actions and the work of the Holy Spirit, doing what the Holy Spirit only can do. And still, I know that I and we will sometimes doubt that we should be actually engaged in evangelism. So there's, one, there's a bonus fourth I want you to know, and here it is. Disciple-making, evangelism, is love. It is an expression of love. It's not oppressive. It's love. 
And I came to know, um, sort of reframe this for me several years ago when I came across this, um, this quote from uh, this guy, Penn Gillette. Do you know him? He's the big guy of those two. Okay, so he's a comedian and magician, um, an atheist. When I first read this quote, it recast my thinking about how I should be thinking about evangelism. And he said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it could make it socially awkward, And atheists who think people maybe shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? I mean... If I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I just tackle you. And this, eternal life, is more important than that. It took an atheist for me to see that disciple-making is an expression of love. He sees it with great clarity that when Jesus calls us to the way of life and to share that story, it has eternal consequence. So what are we supposed to do? Look down. Look up. Love the people you see right in front of you. That's disciple-making. So, Lord, we thank you. No doubt at some point, as it is uh, for me, relationships and family members and co-workers kind of flood into my mind of people for whom I have failed this call. So, Lord, by your Spirit, would you lead us into the tension? When words fail us, would we lean heavily on the Holy Spirit? And as the Holy Spirit leads, would you give us courage of deep conviction and winsome words? Lord, we are both the church gathered and the church scattered. Would we go and make disciples? And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.